This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Greetings, Gothamites. Lane here. Welcome to episode 20 of Batman Books, The Dark Knight and Prose, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. In addition to being the 20th episode, we have also passed the one-year mark. I believe, if memory serves, the first promo that I created was published on Christmas Eve of 2018. So, yay, happy first birthday, Batman Books. I would also like to apologize for the huge gap in time between this episode and the last one. I had some classes this semester that really were time-intensive, and it was all I could do to stay caught up with that, let alone adding podcast recording and editing in there. But the semester's over, I'm taking a break from school for a while, and my focus is returning to podcasting and other forms of creation. I would also like to give a shout out to Jack, who sent a message to me on Facebook to kind of say, hey, when's the next episode coming out? Which was a very fair question. So, hey, Jack, I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope everyone else who is listening enjoys it as well, and that you all had a wonderful holiday season this year. All right, without further ado, even though I feel like I'm forgetting something, let's dive into chapter 18. Chapter 18 begins on page 169. At dawn the next day, a villager spotted a strange trio descending from the mountains. First came a slender young man carrying a rifle. Behind him was a little girl, dressed all in white. And last was a shadowy figure that resembled nothing so much as a huge bat. A huge bat walking. The villager ran to report the news. By the time the trio entered the packed earth circle that served as the village square, every eye was on them. Remember, the Batman said to Rama. Simultaneous translation. Yes, warrior, the young man said. He cleared his throat, then commanded the father of the little girl to come forward. A man stumbled toward the trio. He was in his mid-thirties, but his back was bowed, and many of his teeth were missing. His posture was that of a fawning, subservient lackey. His fear was palpable. Batman asks if he wanted his daughter back, but the father says that a bargain is a bargain, and he can't repay the money, so... The village leader steps forward to speak on the father's behalf. This man had nine children. Nine. How could they be fed? The ground is as hard as General Neum's heart. The poppy does not grow well in this part of the country. Only a few goats can live at the same time on the foraging we have available. He knows it is wrong to sell a child. His heart is heavy with pain. But I ask you, warrior, with all respect, if you were this poor father, what would you do? 
Batman answers that he wouldn't feed his children with the blood of one of their siblings. He would steal if he had to. The leader says, Out here, there is nothing to steal. Batman replies, Those who buy your children have money, and you know where to find them. My notes? First of all, that's too many damn kids for anyone. I feel sorry for Mrs. Villager. Second, we all know that Batman is giving advice from a position of extreme privilege. But I also think he has the capacity for a level of empathy not common among people of his class. That being said, Batman's anger at the situation perhaps prevents him from seeing some of the flaws in the advice he gives. I like that Vax had the village leader point out the first flaw with steal what? But then the chapter ends before the logistics of Batman's second suggestion can be explored. So here are a couple of counter-arguments I'd like to submit for consideration. First, Rama Bien drove three hours to even get to the mountains. How does Batman propose these villagers, who barely have two goats to rub together, even get to the location? Second, we also know that the people holding the children are trained and armed. I don't see these villagers being all that successful with being thieves. And third, even if they, as thieves, are captured by the police rather than killed by those they are stealing from, chances are they're going to receive the death penalty. In the case of the man with the nine kids, probably his best bet would have truly to send his kids to live with relatives or to ask if other families in the village could take in one or two of his kids. Splitting up the family isn't ideal, but it's better than the alternative. Chapter 18, Scene 2 By nightfall, the trio was deep into the mountains. The little girl had fallen asleep, her arms wrapped around the Batman's neck. He cradled the child easily with one hand, walking cat-footed over the broken terrain. After another hour, Rama Bien halted. We are close now, warrior. I cannot know how my people will react when I speak to them. It would be a tragedy if they were to attack you, for I know you cannot be defeated. It is better that you follow me in the sky. If they agree to help, you will know. If not, you must return to the city. I will try and get back there as soon as possible. Thank you, the Batman said. It is my honor, the young man replied. The Batman handed the sleeping child to Rama Bien, then he turned with a swirl of his cape and melted into the night. My notes? Okay, the image of Batman walking cat-footed through the jungle carrying a little girl is kind of cute. It's kind of surprising though, isn't it? I don't really remember him having much interaction with children. I mean, there was that episode of the animated series where he kind of takes in a, a street urchin for a little while, but really he just kind of leaves Alfred to do all the dirty work. I'm also curious what he was thinking when Rama Bien said, It would be a tragedy if they were to attack you, for I know you cannot be defeated. Batman's inner monologue was like, uh, Yeah, that, that's right. I, I can't be defeated. Yep. Nope. Never. Never, ever. Never. So Rama Bien also fully believes that he is this mythical creature who cannot be defeated, who... I, it's, not, it's kind of implying that he believes that he can fly, though of course Batman's going to have his own gadgets and ways of getting around in the sky. But yeah, it's just kind of interesting to see how folklore is incorporated into a person's belief systems. Chapter 18, Scene 3 Rama Bien gently roused the little girl. Wake up, little sister, he said. We have to walk now. Not too far, all right? Rama Bien gently picked up the child, held her for a moment, 
then put her on her feet. The little girl looked up at Rama Bien, her dark eyes as deep and luminescent as a mountain pool. She bowed slightly, then held out her hand. Rama Bien accepted the child's hand as he would a sacred trust. Together, they started to walk. It was another quarter mile before a sentry stepped from behind a rock, an ancient Chinese version of the infamous AK-47 in his hand. Oh, Rama Bien, he said. You have been gone a long while. Who is this? This is my sister, the young man replied. Her name is Lily. Rama and the little girl are waved through. Eventually, they reach the rebel camp. They exchange greetings and make their way to a large campfire, around which men and women, all gorillas, sit. Thirty feet above, Batman watches. Some sort of argument is building. A woman in army fatigues crosses over to stand beside Rama. Arguments continue. A few more rebels join Rama, but most do not. Finally, Rama opens both arms to the heavens and calls out in English, Warrior! Warrior! Now is the time! You are needed! Batman drops to the ground. The rebels are frozen, spellbound. Rama says, Some wish to attack the castle. They stand with us. Others wish to continue as we have, as guerrilla fighters. Rama goes on to explain that the castle is the den of the demon, and the white card with the black widow spider is his symbol. The demon is protected by the army, and because the opium business is difficult, the slavery of children is what brings General Niu money. The Udon Kai government is supported by this trade, and without it, it will fail. Batman begins to speak, only getting out the words, You must! But one of the gorillas steps forward and shoots him, which of course does very little. The man who shot him looks at his pistol with suspicion, then reholsters it, avoiding looking at Batman. Yeah, feel like a jerk, dude? You should. Rama tells his comrades that he had seen Batman defeat one of Bat Po's ninjas in no time flat. Batman gives a speech. To sell a child is a violation of all humanity. Even the lowest animal will die to protect its child. Can we call ourselves a higher form when we fail to do the same? To sell children for the pleasure and profit of others is a mortal sin. It is the ultimate evil, and it is time for the evil to end. The gorillas ask what they can do. Batman asks if they can take the castle. The reply was yes. It's guarded, but not very well. The problem is, they don't know if they can hold it. Batman says they don't need to hold it. Just take out the leader. Without the organization's head, the body will die. The gorillas ask about the others who will rise to take his place. Batman says, La 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 la, I can't hear you. More debating and deciding happens. And they announce that they are with him, and in ten days, they'll storm the castle. Batman replies, Bye-bye, boys! Have fun storming the castle! Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye! And walks backward from the campfire, never looking away from those around the fire. My notes? Was Batman a theater kid? Because he is all about that drama. The name Lily, is that at all Eastern? I genuinely don't know. But it is a symbol for purity, and with the white dress, it just feels a little bit of an overkill on the symbolism, but hey, it's fine. The part about even the lowest animal will die to protect its child. Um, actually, there are many cases where young are left completely abandoned or even predated upon by their parents, my guppies being just one example. So strengthen your argument, Batman. Try opposing viewpoints. Chapter 18, Scene 4 
Four days later, a refrigerator white Land Rover slowly picked its way along a rocky mountain path. The four-wheel drive vehicle's heavy-duty suspension and huge off-road tires were sorely tested by the broken terrain, but the driver was a veteran of many such passages. As the vehicle rounded a particularly sharp hairpin turn, two of the gorillas stepped out from cover, their rifles trained on the lone driver. Step down! Now! One of the gorillas barked. The driver climbed out. The gorillas noted he was European, a chubby middle-aged man with streaks of gray in his longish hair. I was wondering if I would ever find you, he said in perfect udon, his face illuminated by a sunny smile. I have a gift. A gift for Lily Bien. What is this gift? The gorilla spokesman demanded. See for yourself, the driver said, standing aside. The gorillas opened the rear hatch of the Land Rover. It was packed with neat wooden cases. Go fetch Rama, the gorilla who did all the talking told the other. I will stay here to watch this smiling dog. It takes an hour and a half for Rama Bien to arrive. He peers into the Land Rover and asks the driver what is inside. With a rifle at his back, the driver cheerfully demonstrates a single-use rocket launcher, of which there are a dozen in this case. There are also concussion grenades, flashbangs, flamethrowers. When Rama Bien asks about the rifles, the driver says, I understand the objective is stone, yes? Inside such a structure, ricochet is a big problem. So we got you 10 street sweepers, 12-gauge short-stroke pump shotguns, capacities an even dozen rounds. The shells are 3-inch magnums, but the 00 buck has been replaced with very soft lead. If you hit someone, they're gone. But if you miss, the soft lead will just splatter against the wall, not bounce around. There's also some battlefield first aid kits, including morphine and penicillin. Brahma asks, Who sent you? He never mentioned his name, the driver said with a smile. All I know is he was American, like me. What did the white man look like? He was very big, heavy set. His hair was pulled straight back, very greasy. He had an ugly scar right here. Big Jack Hollister. My notes? Batman doesn't kill people. People armed with gifts from Batman kill people. And what is with the single-use rocket launchers? <sighs> so wasteful. No wonder our landfills are filling up. Chapter 18, Scene 5. It's a short one. Two nights later, a low-flying jet swooped down on the gorilla camp so quickly that only the sonic boom indicated its passage. Then a bundle attached to a day-glow orange parachute slowly dropped to earth, visible even at night. Where the bundle touched earth, a cold green fire formed a visible aura. The searchers had no trouble locating it. Opened, the bundle contained a fortune in Udon Kai Klongs. It is a test, Rama Bien said to the gorilla band. A test for all of us. The test of a warrior. The bundle of money was brought back to camp and left standing in the open all night. At daylight, the money remained untouched. That is enough to ensure the silence of many, many houses along the way to the castle, Opal said, pointing to the bundle. If a man will take money to overlook evil, he will take money to overlook those who stalk it. My notes? When's it going to be my turn to have a day-glow parachute drop a bundle full of money on me? Mama's got bills to pay. Fun fact for Chapter 18. The Dayglow Collar Corp. is an American, privately held paint and pigments manufacturer based in Cleveland, Ohio. Ohio represent! During World War II, Dayglow products were extensively used by the U.S. military in applications where visibility was required. For example, 
Navy aircraft carriers use Dayglow's black light fluorescent paints to allow planes to land at night, an advantage that enemy pilots did not have. That does it for Chapter 18. We'll have a promo break and return for Chapter 19. Stay tuned! Welcome back, folks. Chapter 19 begins on page 181. The chapter consists of a single unbroken scene, so we're going to gobble this in one go. Ready? Let's do it. The moon shone full, bathing the land in a cold, pale light. As the Batman watched from his perch, he could see the guerrilla units quietly deploying, readying the assault. The castle was, in fact, a magnificent house built from native stone right into the side of a mountain so skillfully integrated that it appeared to be a natural outcropping. The Knight Rider's trained eyes picked out several guard posts, but he assumed the real defensive strength was inside the house itself. As the moon dropped behind a cloud, the Batman started his ascent. When he reached a purchase above the first guard post, the Batman pulled a six-inch tube from inside his cape. A flick of his wrist, and the tube extended to three feet. His practiced fingers worked effortlessly in the dark. The Batman fitted a needle-tipped dart into the tube, then put one end in his mouth. The Knight Rider's chest swelled to seemingly impossible proportions. He held his breath as he focused on his target, the exposed neck of the sentry. The Batman expelled his breath in one massive jolt. The dart zipped into the guard's neck. The nerve poison worked instantly. The guard crumpled to the ground. Three sentries later, three sentries who would, if they were lucky, remain unconscious throughout the assault. The Batman was inside the house. He prowled the high ceilings, sensors on full alert. As he peered down into a large barrack-style room where dozens of men lounged about, a red light began to flash as a warning siren blared. The assault was on. Batman begins making his way toward the house's apex, where he believes the target will be. A nifty backflip allows him to dodge fire from an Uzi. At the top of the stairs stands a calm man in a red kimono a bamboo stave in his hands. As the Batman approached, the kendo master began to twirl the stave, his bare feet noiseless as he moved into an attack position. The Batman locked eyes with his adversary and closed the space between them. The kendo master swept his stave from lower right to upper left, then suddenly stopped in mid-strike and reversed his hands, his powerful wrists driving the stave at Batman's exposed neck. But the Batman whirled inside the arc and drove a spinning back fist into the other man's chest. Before the Kendo Master could recover, the Batman grabbed his opponent's ears and delivered a vicious headbutt. The Kendo Master collapsed like a punctured balloon. With that boss fight done, Batman continues up the next flight of stairs. 
On the final landing was a muscular woman with a black mohawk, holding a chain that is all that keeps a snow leopard in check. When she sees Batman, she drops the chain and screams, Kill, Chewie, kill. The leopard charges Batman, but Batman employs an Aikido-like technique, using the animal's momentum against it. Claws and marble don't mix, and the leopard slides helplessly down the hall. Let's claw! More pad! In the same motion, Batman slides toward the mohawked woman, batting a throwing knife out of the air and kicking her legs out from under her. She fell into the Batman's embrace, an embrace that took her consciousness within seconds. The house is filled with sounds of small arms fire, and outside the occasional woof from a rocket launcher. The leopard decides that humans are stupid and are solely to blame for its species having reached endangered status, so it saunters off to find something better to do. Batman now turns his attention to the door from which the woman and her kitty had emerged. He centers himself and enters. Less than ten steps into the darkness, the Batman's sonar bounced back the impression of a tunnel. Cautiously, he reached out with a gloved hand. The surrounding material felt rough to the touch. Was it concrete? No, the texture was all wrong. The Batman stood quietly, breathing deeply through his nose, focusing all his senses on the material. It smelled like... yes... A thick layer of cork. No wonder the place was so silent. Maintaining contact with the cork wall with his right hand, the Batman moved down the tunnel, his left hand extended, moving with the deceptively delicate gait of the true Karateka. Forty careful paces into the cork tunnel, and the Batman saw a slanted sliver of light ahead, a corner of some kind. As he neared the light, the Batman felt a radical shift in temperature. The air ahead was hot and moist. The Batman slowly removed his right hand from the cork wall and switched to a ninja gate known as crane walking, moving ahead with the toes of his left foot, all his weight on the back foot. He brought the left foot down toes first, as though carefully descending into water, and dragged his right until the feet touched, switching so smoothly that the right foot became the leader. This allowed him to scan both left and right walls while still minimizing his silhouette. As the Knight Rider moved forward, his senses became even more attuned to his surroundings. The slanted sliver of light grew closer, washing the walls with a dull illumination of diffused orange. The silence was broken by tiny sounds, the rustle of paper, the hum of computer terminals. The, the Batman's gloved hand shot out, snatching the striking snake just behind its head. The snake hissed in rage, squirming in the Knight Rider's grip, but the Batman held it at arm's length as he moved toward the light. What happens next? Join us on the stage of... Rest in Peace Theater is proud to present That Time Rama Bien Steals Batman's Thunder Special guest star Pax from the I Read Movies podcast The Batman peered around the corner where the light was coming from the snake still in his right hand He found himself on a catwalk the metal railings barely visible In the faint light the Batman was able to determine that the snake was a greenish yellow color banded with another darker shade of green. The Knight Rider had never seen such a snake, but one glance at its triangular head told him all he needed to know. It was some form of pit viper, obviously planted as an emergency sentry. That explained the heat and humidity change. Snakes cannot remain active in the cold. The Batman followed the catwalk until he came to another corner. Below was a circle of focused white light. In the circle was a man, an elderly man who sat calmly, smoking a pipe as if gunfire and explosions were everyday fare. To the man's right stood a state-of-the-art telex, a fax machine, and three computer monitors, all linked by cables to an industrial-sized laser printer. 
To the man's left was a giant globe on which a map of the world had been painted. The man held a telephone in his left hand. He was speaking calmly, but in the voice of one who is accustomed to instant obedience. It appears we are having some difficulty here. Nothing we cannot handle, I'm sure. It will take hours for the rebels to get in here. The only door visible to invaders is several inches of heavy gauge steel. Nevertheless, it might be prudent if my allotment of troops could be increased. Say, within the next ten minutes, damn it! The man slammed down the telephone receiver. Then he appeared to recover his composure and took another soothing puff on his pipe. The distinctive smell of opium wafted up to where the Batman looked. William X. Malady, the kingpin of the organization that took his parents' life. He could be no other. The Batman's chest tightened. His fists clenched involuntarily. Only the faint sound of cracking bones alerted him. He looked at his right hand, now holding a dead snake. The Knight Rider dropped the snake to the floor of the catwalk and gathered himself for the final leap. But before he could act, the heavy steel doors at one end of the large room blew off their hinges. The seated man was frantically rooting around in a desk drawer and Rama Bien entered, a pistol in his hand. Put your hands where I can see them. Do I know you? My name would mean nothing to you, nor the names of any of the children you stole. I'm sure you Be don't. sure of nothing but your death if you make a wrong move. Your day is done now, William Malady. Your soldiers are gone. Only a few died. The rest ran like the cowards they are. What I want from you is your list. My list? Les enfants du secret, Rama said, his voice as stony as the house he had invaded. I need to know where they are, where the children are. My dear fellow... You cannot seriously expect me to have such information. You are aware of how it works, I know. The children are sold. The stake is your life. If you have nothing to play with, so be it. The Batman watched, frozen on his perch, as the seated man spread his hands wide and spoke. You cannot alter the course of events, my young friend. You have seen my chop. Do you think you understand it? The Black Widow spider? Yes, I understand it. The spider is poison. And so are you. No, you do not understand. The seated man said, his voice silky with confidence. The spider is of no consequence. The true meaning is in the hourglass. Look closely. You have climbed a mountain, but you have only come to the middle of the hourglass. Do you understand? You can kill me, but you will have achieved nothing. Nothing at all. As long as there are those who sell their children, there are those who will buy. You are not at the top of the peak. You are at the base of a new mountain, one with even steeper slopes. Things have changed, but human nature has not. Don't you understand? This is business. That's all. The business of evil. Whatever you say. Words change nothing. I will tell you what does change things. Technology changes things. When I began in this business, it was necessary to have associates in order to produce the product. One needed film processors willing to look the other way. Distribution was so very difficult, the product itself was of low quality and could not be easily reproduced. Today, that has all changed. Any adult who owns a child, a parent, or for that matter, anyone to whom a parent entrusts their child, anyone can make a perfectly commercial video in the privacy of their own home. What you would call child pornography is a cottage industry now. The networks are all gone. I am an anachronism, a relic. To kill me would change nothing. You stole my lily. If it were not me, 
It would only be someone else. I understand you feel wronged, and I am completely open to the concept of reparations. I'm sure we can work something out. Believe me, my heart is heavy with the pain of... You have no heart, Rama Bien said, his pistol as steady as his words. You are not a man, you are a peddler of children. The Batman focused in on the face of Rama Bien, preparing to leap. Suddenly he froze, standing stock still, his eyes riveted on Malady's left foot. A foot gently tapping as though keeping time to music. A foot only inches away from a button set into the floor. Even as the Batman reached toward his utility belt, Malady's foot pressed down on the button. The flesh peddler leaned back in his leather chair, a relaxed smile spreading across his face. My young friend, I understand your anger. Believe me, I do. If you will give me two minutes, literally two minutes, see that clock on the wall? I promise you, I will change your mind. Give me two minutes, and after that... Speak, and speak the truth, or they will be your last words. Very well. Malady began, but the Batman was no longer listening. Every one of his senses was tuned to the last sound he heard. The unmistakable sound of a round being chambered in a bolt-action rifle. The Knight Rider leaped lightly onto the railing of the catwalk, balancing as easily as a pedestrian on pavement. Slowly, he began to move in the direction of the sound, his eyes boring into the murky shadows. Another four steps, and the Batman's night vision picked up a glint of light. He slowed his breathing again, concentrating. There it was, a sniper rifle, complete with telescopic sight, poised atop a tripod for better accuracy. As Malady's voice droned on, the Batman bent at the waist and made a quick movement with his hands. Then he stepped back a dozen paces and dove off the catwalk, disappearing at the end of the bat rope he had lashed in place. The rifleman was peering through the scope, setting the crosshairs to rest precisely in Rama Bien's chest. He smiled to himself, knowing he had almost another full minute before his employer's time was up. Suddenly, the scope's image went black as the Batman flowed over the railing from the darkness below. The rifleman was a killer, not a fighter and his mouth was still open in amazement when the Batman's fist took him right below the ear at the hinge of the jaw. The Batman turned his back on the unconscious rifleman and peered down. Now I must stop Rama Bien, he commanded himself, but he could not will his body to move. He watched the two men beneath him, frozen in time as the young gorilla spoke. You have had your two minutes, liar. Please, Malady whined, fighting to remain calm, knowing his rifleman had failed but not knowing why. Whatever one man steals, another man can return. Restitution can always be made. What you steal can never be returned. You stole my lily. You steal childhood itself. The Batman's body went rigid as unchecked emotions exploded within. You steal childhood itself. The horror of that reality resonated within him, acid on the glass surface of his soul, forever etching a deep pattern of pain. His spirit trembled before the onslaught, vibrating at the perfect pitch to shatter the delicate crystal of a child's heart. The Knight Rider staggered with the pain, clenching his eyes shut, shivering, nearly lost. For several horrifying seconds, the child within the Batman writhed in fear. Terrified, he called his mother's name, and when she answered, the warrior emerged. With a last deep shudder, the Knight Rider left his past and turned to face his future. Down below, Rama Bien raised the pistol, his face a mask of anguish. The Batman saw the younger man's finger whiten on the trigger. He gathered himself, preparing to leap, but invisible hands kept him at bay. He could only watch as... You took my lily, 
And now there is a new lily. It may be true what you say, someone else to follow, but you, monster, will steal childhood no more. Ramabien cried out as his pistol fired its message. William X. Malady spilled backward off his chair, dead before he hit the floor. The young man walked over to the body of the man who stole children. Another gorilla came through the door. It was Opal, a rifle in one hand. It is done, Rama. We must go. The soldiers will be here soon. What of the warrior? As the Batman followed Rama's gaze, Opal said, The warrior walks where he will, Rama. We must go back now. Rama stood, seemingly rooted to the spot, still looking down at the dead man. Lily needs us. Slowly, Rama nodded. He looked toward the heavens and saw the Batman looking down. The Batman bowed. Rama bowed in return. Rama and Opal walked together out of the demon's den, and the Batman, alone with the dead man's computer network, sat down to complete the destruction of its foul empire. My notes? Batman doesn't kill people. Batman kills snakes. Rest in peace, Danger Noodle. I was hoping to see a little bit more of the villagers' side of the battle. Surprisingly, we saw pretty much none at all, aside from Rama Bien. Having a snow leopard and a pit viper as part of one's home defense, though, is pretty badass. I also like that the vigilante hero role in this chapter is really Rama Bien's. Batman is just the vehicle, the Batmobile, to aid Rama in accomplishing this task. But unfortunately, it is kind of true what Malady says. Another will take his place. People suck. Fun fact for chapter 19. The snow leopard, also known as the ounce, is a large cat native to the mountain ranges of Central and South Asia. Once categorized as endangered, it has been upgraded recently to the status of vulnerable because the global population is estimated to number less than 10,000 mature individuals. It is threatened by poaching and habitat destruction following infrastructural developments. People suck. That brings us to the end of chapter 19. We'll have a second promo break and we'll return to wrap up the book with chapter 20. Stay tuned. Hello, gentle listener. Are you a lover of horror, dark tales, stories of the uncanny and unimaginable? If the answer is yes, you need to subscribe to Nocturnal Transmissions, the fortnightly podcast that brings you dark tales, both old and new, performed by voice artist Kristen Holland. You'll find us on all good podcast providers, including Spotify, or seek us out through our website, nocturnaltransmissions.com. We do so hope you can join us. Welcome back, folks. Chapter 20, the final chapter, begins on page 193. It's short, so you know the drill. Chapter 20, scene 1. Three weeks later... Alfred brought a carafe of water and some wheat biscuits down to the cave on a silver tray. I have more news to report, he said, placing the tray next to the Batman. From Udon Kai? Yes. The revolution continues to gather strength. What started with sporadic raids on centers of child prostitution has escalated dramatically. 
It appears as though the rebels have been joined by some of the mountain tribespeople, an utterly unexpected development. Many of the regular army soldiers have deserted, and General Newham has fled the country. Our sources indicate that he traveled south through Thailand and left the area in an ocean-going yacht named the Lollipop. Have they been spotted? The Lollipop was blown apart somewhere in the Indian Ocean, Master Bruce. A Greek tanker was close enough to see it all. The captain of that ship reports that there were no survivors. The explosion literally blew the Lollipop into bits. Is Udon Kai stable yet? No, Master Bruce. Although the rebels control the mountains, pitched battles continue in the streets, but the sex tourism business is dead. As dead as its kingpin. William X. Malady. Yes, I understand how you feel about it, Master Bruce, but... I could have stopped it, Alfred. I knew what Rama was going to do. I could have stopped it. No, Master Bruce, you could not have stopped it. Or would you have? Accept it. Alfred, I... Bruce Wayne started crying softly. His faithful friend walked over to him and put a hand on his shoulder. The sex tourism business has been smashed, he said. Your mother is proud of you. You mean she would be? I mean precisely what I said, Alfred said. Fighting evil is the same as fighting crime, only the focus is more concentrated. As you have often said, you swim toward the horizon. You will never reach the goal yourself, but that is of no importance. As you follow your mother's work, others will follow you. It is the soul of the true warrior to struggle so that others can claim the prize. Then the faithful Alfred walked away, leaving the Batman to his thoughts. My notes? I love this little scene between Alfred and Bruce, but it's hard to be glad about the sex industry being smashed, even in a fictional sense, because the industry will just gain strength somewhere else. That is not to say that this industry shouldn't be battled, and I think as long as it is battled, the war isn't lost. But can it ever be fully won? I hope so, but I don't think so. But at least we can make it as difficult as possible for the predators, perhaps curbing some of the crime. Chapter 20, Scene 2, is another short one. Midnight in Gotham. A bat-shaped shadow soared high, the better to observe the depths below. The Knight Rider looked with new eyes, the meaning of the Black Widow's hourglass now engraved on his soul. From above, the city's underbelly was clearly visible. A teenage girl took a last hit off a crack pipe, desperately seeking an anesthetic before she went back to selling pieces of herself to the anonymous men who cruised by in their expensive cars. In her nearby alley, her spiritual brother lurked, a lead pipe in his hand, telling himself he committed nightly acts of violence to get money, but inside himself, knowing the ugly truth. Across town, in a luxurious brownstone, a boy who had dropped out of a prestigious prep school revised a suicide note on his home computer, a goodbye letter to the preacher who had taught him hypocrisy. In a nearby high-rise building, his soul sister looked down from the top floor, pregnant with her father's child, praying she would soon be as dead as her dreams. As he swung from one building to another, the Batman spoke across time. I understand now, Mother. The children of the secret are here, too. They are everywhere. The Knight Rider swept the scene below him with his eyes, zeroing in. He looked at the patchwork of lights that ranged from candle points to neon. And someday, 
they will join together in a force powerful enough to shake this universe. Until then... Landing lightly on his feet outside a window, the Batman heard the child's sobbing protest, the guttural grunts of an adult. The information Deborah Kane had given him was, as always, accurate. He looked inside, saw the video camera poised on a tripod. In their name, the Batman cried deep within himself as he swung through the open window to face the ultimate evil. My notes? I love that Vax brought this back home to Gotham. Vax certainly knows, but many of us lay folk don't realize that human trafficking is a huge issue right here in the United States and every other country that considers itself developed and civilized. When someone says that slavery was abolished in the 1860s, keep in mind that legal slavery was abolished. The trafficking of human beings has been a curse of our species since the days of ancient Rome, Greece, Egypt, and further back to time out of mind. It just changes form. I also love the idea of a Deborah Kane-Batman partnership. More Deborah Kane. Well, folks, we did it. It took longer than anticipated because of real life getting in the way, but we finished Batman The Ultimate Evil by Andrew Vax. It's an incredibly dark subject matter that is difficult to talk about, but I think Vax did a great job of weaving this into a Batman tale. I'll have a couple of bonus episodes related to this book to close out this quote-unquote season before we move on to book number three, and I will announce book number three right now. I needed a little bit of a palate cleanser after this book, so book number three is going to be the 1992 novelization of Batman Returns by Craig Shaw Gardner. As always, if you'd like to leave a comment or question or send a silly joke, you can reach me at darknightpros at gmail.com or on Twitter at batmanbooks underscore DKP. And I'm also on Facebook. I hope all of you have a wonderful new year. After all, we are starting the Roaring Twenties. And we'll see you back next time with the bonus episode. So until next time, Gothamites, happy reading. Happy reading.